0: Chapter One of *The Flying Stingaree* by Harold Goodwin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. *The Flying Stingaree* by Harold Goodwin. Chapter One. Chesapeake Bay. The stingaree swam slowly through the warm waters of Chesapeake Bay geography meant nothing to the ray whose sole interest in life was food but his position had he known it was in the channel that runs between poplar island and the town of whitman on the eastern shore of maryland the ray was also directly in the path of an odd-looking cruising houseboat the spindrift that had just rounded the north point of poplar island and entered the channel the stingray's color was an olive-brown so dark in tone that he looked like wet black leather he was roughly diamond-shaped like a kite with rounded sides he had a long slim tail that carried vicious barbs along the base of its upper side it was from the barbs which served as defensive weapons that the name stingray or stingaree derived the ray was harmless to men unless one chanced to step on him as he lay resting on the bottom ooze at such rare times his tail would lash up inflicting a serious and painful wound a tiny crab hatched only a week before swam upward toward the gleaming surface his churning legs making a slight disturbance the rays sensed the small vibrations and instantly changed course speeding through the water like a fantastic spaceship of the future intent on the crab the ray ignored the stronger vibrations caused by a pair of outboard motors and a long flat-bottom hole not until the crab was within reach did the ray sense imminent danger with a single flashing movement he snatched the crab and flung himself upward through the shining surface and into the air rick brant at the helm of the cruising houseboat saw the ray break water and he let out a yell scotty look don scott asleep at full length on the houseboat's sun deck, which was also its cabin top awoke in time to see the dark shape reenter the calm water stingaree he exclaimed rick had never seen an area more teeming with life than chesapeake bay unless it was the jungles of the south pacific books guides to eastern land and water birds regional fish and reptiles rested on the cabin top before him along with a pair of binoculars he had used them all repeatedly identifying eagles wild swans ospreys wild duck and geese terrapin snapping turtles and water snakes as well as a horde of lesser creatures trailing lines over the houseboat stern had captured striped sea bass called rockfish locally a species of drumfish called spot because of a black spot on the gills Pink croakers that the Marylanders called hardheads, and the blue crabs for which the bay is famous. He had seen clam dredges bringing up bushels of soft-shelled, long-necked clams that the dredgers called manos, and he had seen the famous Maryland bug eyes and skipjacks, sailing craft used for dredging oysters. The boats were not operated during the oyster breeding season, from the end of March until September rick's interest in the life of the great bay was to be expected as son of the director of the world-famous spindrift scientific foundation located on spindrift island off the coast of new jersey he had been brought up among scientists the habit of observation had developed along with his natural and insatiable curiosity the tall slim brown-haired brown-eyed boy was completely happy he enjoyed casual living especially on the water and life on the spindrift couldn't have been more casual he was dressed in a tattered pair of shorts and a wrist-watch once in the cool of the evening he had slipped on a sweatshirt otherwise the shorts had been his sole attire while on board since leaving his home island a few days before scotty a husky dark-haired boy clad only in red swimming trunks came down the ladder from the cabin top and stood beside rick in the cockpit now that you woke me up to look at a fish suppose you tell me where we are last thing i remember we were passing under the bay bridge off annapolis that's bloody point lighthouse behind us rick said poplar island is on the starboard and the eastern shore to port that black thing sticking up ahead of us is a light boy when we reach it we should be able to see the range markers into knapp's narrows scotty checked the chart on the table hinged to the bulkhead formed by the rear cabin wall what time is it rick glanced at his watch five after six time for chow want to rustle up something or shall we eat at knapp's narrows the cruising guide says there is a restaurant there let's eat out scotty replied promptly i'm sick of my cooking and yours i'd like some maryland crab cakes like those we had in chesapeake city rick remembered with pleasure suits me think we'll get to steves tonight scotty asked i doubt it we probably could reach the mouth of the river about dark but then we'd have to navigate up the river and into a creek before reaching steves i don't want to tackle these chesapeake backwaters at night the destination of the houseboat was the summer cottage of rick's old friend steve ames who was also a chief agent of janik the top secret federal security organization the boys and the spindrift scientists had worked on several cases for janik starting with the adventure of the whispering box mystery steve was responsible for rick's ownership of the houseboat Which had been named for Rick's home island on the grounds that it was now his home away from home. Rick's first glimpse of the houseboat had been from the air. At the request of Steve Ames, he, Scotty, his sister Barbie, and Jan Miller, daughter of one of the spindrift physicists, had been searching the coast of New Jersey for signs of strangers in the area. Barbie had spotted the houseboat, which at that time was painted a bright orange later the houseboat had played a major role in the adventure of the electronic mind reader and rick had fought for his life and the safety of the two girls in the very cabin behind which he now stood the houseboat had been impounded by federal authorities and recently steve had mentioned to rick that it was to be auctioned after consulting with his family rick had entered a bid for the boat his bid had been the only one and he became owner at what was close to a salvage price it was rick's pride that his chief possessions had been bought with his own money and the houseboat was no exception like his first plane the cub he expected the houseboat to pay its own way rick had recovered his investment in the cub by using it to operate spindrift islands ferry service to the mainland rick flew the scientists to newark airport when they had to catch planes or he flew to whiteside for groceries or into new york to pick up parts and supplies the houseboat could not be used in the same way but he was sure he could get its price back by renting it to summer visitors to the new jersey area he had repainted it in two shades of green with a white top and had made a few other improvements before renting the boat however he intended to have an extended houseboat vacation he and scotty had left spindrift island headed south into Manasquan inlet and then sailed into the inland waterway by easy stages the houseboat could make only ten miles an hour they had moved down the waterway into delaware bay up the delaware river through the chesapeake and delaware canal and into Chesapeake Bay. Now, some twenty miles south of Annapolis, the boys were nearing Steve's summer cottage. Rick's parents, with Barbie and Jan, were now on their way to Wallace Island, rocket range operated by the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Hartson Brandt had business there in connection with instruments the Spindrift group of scientists had designed for measuring solar X-rays the instruments would be launched in rockets. Wallops Island was near Chincoteague, Virginia, just across the Maryland-Virginia border on the long peninsula called the Eastern Shore that runs between Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. By car, Wallops was less than two hours from Steve's summer cottage. As soon as his business was concluded, Hartson and Brand planned to drive to Steve's where the Brants and the two girls would join Rick and Scotty for a vacation on the houseboat. There was plenty of room. The Spindrift was thirty feet long and ten feet wide, and had two cabins. Four could sleep in the forward cabin, and two amidships, where the galley, dinette, and bath were located. Steve had agreed to drive the Brant car to Spindrift on his next trip to New York. The houseboat, with the full clan aboard, would travel leisurely back to the home island. Rick was delighted with the arrangements. The Brants, and that included Scotty, who had become one of them after his discharge from the United States Marine Corps, were a close-knit family whose members enjoyed doing things together. Rick considered Jan Miller, Barbie's dearest friend, a welcome addition to the party. Range light ahead, Scotty said. Rick nodded. The light was at top atop a black piling, the collar meant he would have to pass it to port then pick up the red beacon at the entrance to the narrows passing the red beacon to starboard this was in accordance with the old sailor's rule red right returning which means keep red markers and boys on the starboard or right when returning from seaward it was fun navigating in strange waters he had never heard of knapp's narrows a few days before or of tillman's island where the narrows were located nor had he heard of the Choptank river which lay just below the island the houseboat plowed ahead its twin outboards purring its bow rounded like the front of a toboggan slapped into a slight swell rick passed the range light and headed for the red tower that marked the opening of the narrows in a few moments they were in the narrows passing lines of docked crab oyster and clam boats, there was a bridge ahead with a gasoline dock in its shadow rick gauged wind and current and decided how he would maneuver into place the current was heavy in the channel running in the direction in which he was headed i'll nose in and you jump off with a bowline he directed scotty we'll let the stern swing around with the current That will leave us facing the way we came, so we won't have to turn when we leave. In a short time, the maneuver was completed. Rick edged the rounded nose of the houseboat against the seawall as Scotty stepped ashore, carrying the bowline. He snubbed it tightly around a piling and held fast while the ungainly boat swung with the current. Rick stepped to the seawall with the stern line as the craft swung completely around and the boys made the boat fast now scotty said let's gas up and eat after filling the gas tanks loading the ice box with fresh ice and topping off the water tank the boys slipped into shirts slacks and shoes then headed for the restaurant that adjoined the dock over delicious spicy maryland crab cakes and coffee they talked with the proprietor a friendly heavy-set eastern shore man "'who spoke with the typical slurred accents of the region. Quite a boat you got there,' the man said. "'Rick grinned. "'It does look sort of odd, but it's comfortable. "'Expect so. "'Thought it was a seagoing flying saucer "'when I saw it coming through the narrows.' "'Scotty munched, crab cake, appreciatively. "'Seen many flying saucers around here?' he asked whimsically. "'A few.' "'The boys stared.' The man smiled at the reaction. Didn't expect that. It's true. We see one now and again. Really? Rick asked. Sure as geese fly. Don't know that they're really flying saucers like we read about in the Washington and Baltimore papers. We get both. But they're something strange. Not natural, anyway. The boys looked at each other. There was no doubt that the proprietor believed what he was saying he was as casual as though reporting a catch of fish seen any recently scotty inquired two nights ago always same about dusk real plain against the sky sun hits em when they get high enough they shine sometimes silver sometimes red funny we haven't seen anything about it in the papers rick commented oh i don't know used to be we'd report em and the papers carried a few lines but the way the stories got written you'd think us eastern shore folks were sure a few marbles we got tired of being laughed at so no one says much about the saucers any more but lots of people see them scotty asked sure anyone that happens to be outdoors ever report these sightings to the authorities rick wanted to know did at first call the state police myself The Coast Guard boys are located right here at the Narrows, and they reported to Baltimore. Nothing happened. The authorities aren't sold on flying saucers, you might say. I guess the last report was when Link Harris was kidnapped by one. Rick's scalp prickled. You honestly mean someone was kidnapped by a flying saucer? It's the only thing we can think of. Link went out to set his crab lines like always and never came back we set out to find him and we found his boat all right but no link one of the saucers was seen by several folks and they said later it seemed right over where he was working at about the time he was there the boys digested this startling information maybe he was drowned rick ventured in a creek not likely link's been crabbing for thirty years in these waters water was smooth not a ripple even out on the bay even if he fell over he could almost walk ashore tide was out and he was in lines in about six feet and he's better than two yards high shore wasn't more than twenty yards away maybe he hit his head when he fell scotty suggested possible but even if he drowned we'd have found his body rick shook his head it's hard to believe a man could be kidnapped by a flying saucer couldn't he have gone ashore and walked out of the area maybe he wanted to disappear you're mighty hard to convince the proprietor said good-humoredly it was clear he didn't particularly care whether they were convinced or not he was making conversation just to be sociable where link was setting lines is just a little creek with marsh all around no man with any sense would get out of a boat and go ashore in the marshland now, would he? Besides, there's no reason link would want to disappear. He lived all alone and did about what he pleased. Crabs netted him enough money for his needs. How long ago did this happen? Rick asked two, three weeks, not long. Where Scotty queried few miles south in a creek off the little choct tank. That's where we're going," Rick exclaimed. "So well, watch for Swamp Creek. It's on the chart. That's where they got link. Where are you headed? A place called Martin's Creek," Rick replied. Ah uh, huh. Well, Martin's is on the south shore, and Swamp Creek is on the north, about three miles close to the river mouth. You'll pass it on the way. Better keep an eye open." That boat of yours might attract flying saucers the way a decoy attracts ducks. Rick saw the twinkle in the proprietor's eye. We'll set a bear trap on the upper deck, he said. Any flying saucer tries to pick us up. The pilot will catch it, one of his six legs in it. Likely the man agreed, you catch one, bring it to the narrows, will you? Always wanted to see one at close range. We'll do that rick agreed and no premonition or hunch warned him how close he and scotty would come to carrying out the promise chapter one